Before we read that passage, we're going to play a beautiful piece of music which has a lot to do with this passage. And I've specifically got one that you just listen to. There's no visuals. That's kind of unusual today. Because the passage we're looking at in chapter 19 was heard by John. And so, let's hear it. And then we've got a slight inkling of what it will be like in heaven. Because Handel set his music on this passage in Scripture. And it came out. It's beautiful. Well, let's read this passage together. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up for ever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small, and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this morning we're going to look at this passage where John, the Apostle John, heard this vast multitude and the angelic beings praising God with this hallelujah, which they repeat four times. It's the only time in scripture where we get this word specifically hallelujah. In the Psalms we have uh, the meaning hallelujah is spelt out for us and it's used there, but not the specific word as is used here in Revelation. And then next time we, together we're going to start looking at what John saw. So today we're hearing, tomorrow, uh, next time we meet it's what did he see? We see that beautiful picture, that majestic picture of Christ on that white horse, the majestic warrior, the conquering king. So this morning as we look at this, these first few verses, verses 1 to 3. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah! For the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. 
What is being pictured here for us in the song of praise to the Lord? Well, I believe it's very clear there. It's being shown us that He is the all-powerful all judge. God is the all-powerful judge. And this great multitude in heaven, we're not told who they are, but from other passages in Revelation, when it speaks about this great multitude, it's the saints in heaven, the angelic beings together, worshipping God. And what are they saying? Hallelujah! So what does that mean? Sometimes we use that quite loosely. You kind of hear it in worship services. People will shout out, Hallelujah! But do we know what it means? Anyone? Praise God! And specifically in the Hebrew, praise Jah. Jehovah. The shortened form of Jah. Praise Jehovah. Who is Jehovah? The mighty God of the armies. So, when we say, Hallelujah, we are saying, praise the God of the armies. The mighty God, the omnipotent one. Why is that relevant to this passage? Because he's overcome the world. He's overcome this prostitute who represents the world. He's overcome tyranny. He's a just God. See, we have to be careful we don't use this term unthinkingly. When we say hallelujah, it is God, the Almighty One, that we are worshipping. What is this, the, uh, the verse says? It says, salvation and glory and honour and power belong to our God. What are those things? Salvation, the way God has planned for man to be brought back to him again through Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to God only. There is no other God on this earth that can offer salvation. So salvation belongs to our God. Glory belongs to our God. The ultimate glory of all belongs to God alone. Honour, power. So what are these? These are the attributes of God that this heavenly choir gives back to the Lord. You see, when we praise God, sometimes it's all about what God has done for me first. Thank you God for saving me. And that's fa it's fantastic. We, we must do that. God does save us and He has saved us. But maybe we should do what the angelic beings do and what the host in heaven does. And let's just praise God for who He is first. And then get to the consumer side of us. And praise Him for what He's done for us. We're so quick to start with what He's done for us. And it's not wrong, but let's start and praise Him for who He is. Give Him back His attributes. What do they sing here? Salvation, glory, honour and power belong to our God. Why? The reasons are spelt out in the rest of those verses. Because His judgments are true and just. He's the all-wise God. There's the attribute behind it. Because He has judged the great prostitutes. What attributes behind that? He's the holy God. He's the just God. He has avenged the blood of His servants. Literally, He has avenged the blood of the bond slaves of Him, says the Greek. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, they've been bought by His blood. He has avenged their blood as the saints cried out before that golden altar, as we've seen previously in Revelation. He has now answered that prayer. He's the faithful and the just God. That's the attribute behind that. His judgment is eternal, verse 3. That's the everlasting God. That's the attribute which is behind it. You see, God is behind what He does. And so we praise Him for that. 
Secondly, we see in verses 4 to 5 that he calls us to God-centered worship. The elders and the four living creatures fall down before him who is on the throne and they praise him saying, Amen. Hallelujah. What does Amen mean? We use it quite a lot. So be it. It is so. And Hallelujah we've seen. God who is the Almighty One. And so when, they, when these four living creatures representing the heavenly creatures and when the 24 elders representing believers who have died and gone to heaven and all those to come, when they cry out before the throne, Him who is seated on the throne, they are saying, Lord, all these things that have been said, it is so. They're confirming. It's a double testimony in Scripture. When something is supposed to be true, there's always a testimony of two or more. Same here. And so this voice from the throne speaks. Now we're not told directly, is this God? But it is definitely sanctioned by God. So whether it was an angel speaking these things, or whether it's God himself speaking, we're not told. But it says, praise our God. Coming from the throne. This is a heavenly injunction for God-centered worship. In other words, the voice is saying, focus on God and who he is and praise his name. Praise our God. And then sing about what he's done for you as grateful people. So who must praise him? We've looked at this very quickly as well. His bond servants, those who owe our very lives to him. Those are the ones to, to, who are to praise him. Who else says this voice from the heavens? Those who fear him. What does that mean? To fear God. Does that mean to quake in our boots? Because he's a tyrant? No. He's the awesome, he's the majestic God. And we give him the reverence due to his name. That's to fear God. Who he is. And then it says, all those small and great. In other words, no exceptions. All, praise the Lord. Give him the thanks due to his name. Think of who he is and praise him for who he is. Do you see how we have to praise God? It's not just about, thanks Lord for what you've done for me. Praise Amen. And go on with life. Praise God for who He is. And then there's a really good reason why the whole of the heavens is excited. And we find that in verses 6 to 8. And it's, it's the point, the whole pinnacle of the salvation plan that's revealed here as well for us. Because the reason is given, verses 6 to 8. Let's see what it says. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. And now it's as if John is hearing an intensified form of worship here. Because he's hearing this roar of this crowd which is like many waters and like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder. Do you see that it's, in music terms, it's triple S. Alright? Triple fortissimo, as loudly as you can go now. And they're shouting out. What are they shouting out? Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Why? Here it is. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready, and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Wow! We've reached it. The pinnacle of the salvation plan. The bridegroom and the bride are together. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
Remember that if you are married anyway, remember that day when it was building up to the wedding and then it arrived, the butterflies and all the rest that goes with it, the sweat mainly among the men standing at the front waiting. But it's a really exciting day. And many of us thought, I should have done this long ago. Many of us thought, I hope this is over quickly. But we, we see this great multitude, which sounds like the waters and thunder, and they are praising the Lord, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now we need to understand something here about Jewish marriages. Slightly different to the way we do it in the West. Okay? In Jewish marriages, sometimes children, and now this is not, it's not what it sounds like, alright? But sometimes children were betrothed to be married later in life. They were promised to each other when they were young. Now, with our Western ears now, we think, that's against my rights. Well, it's not like that in Scripture. In the Jewish cultural context, sometimes young people were betrothed to each other at a young age. They were promised to each other. And then when they reached a certain age of 13 and 14, yes, it's young, I know, that is when sometimes they'd get married. Now, it worked like this. They were betrothed as children, and then the next phase of the marriage, and it's all part of the wedding, is the interval or the presentation. The interval is the period of waiting, and then when the, the, the ceremony and everything's about to happen, there's the presentation. And on a given day, the bride would ready herself. She'd get into her festive garments at her mother's house. And with all her ladies round her to help her, there would then be the coming of the bride. He would rock up there with his entourage of men and those who are singing and dancing with him and bringing the gifts that they have. And they would arrive at the bride's house to come and get the bride. And then she would be presented to him in all her fineries. She'd come out the door of the house. Now, you need to see this, please. I can't act all this, all right? I've got your wedding dress. So, she would come out of the house with all her ladies. There'd be great singing, a lot of music, a lot of dancing. If you know anything about the Jewish culture, a lot of dancing, a lot of instruments around. And then they would be presented to, to each other. A lot of shyness around. Okay? See the blushing? Come on. See the picture. And she would be presented to her husband. And then the marriage price would be paid right there. And then he would take his bride from her mother's house and they would go to his house, to his father's house, where there are many rooms. And that is because it's an extended family in the Jewish setup. And there they would go and be taken to the father's house and be welcomed by the father's family. And she would be welcomed into his home, the home where the bridegroom would stay with his bride. And so they'd go from mother's house to father's house and stay there. And only then would the celebration, the marriage feast, take place. And there's a ceremony involved there too. And in modern Jewish culture they break a glass and all kinds of things. But um, in that culture they would have this marriage feast and the ceremony where they would be... be formally exchanging their promises to each other. Now that's a very shortened form of what a Jewish wedding is. You can go and read the rest on Google. Alright. Um, but for the wedding ceremony, we now have to take that into the parallel in Scripture. You see, in, in Jesus Christ, and if you read through the rest of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, the bride was chosen from eternity past. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. I want to read you this verse. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. This is what it says. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, Jesus Christ. Okay. So, what happens here? In eternity past. Now, there's the parallel truth. I choose God and I choose to follow Him, but in eternity past, God chose me too. I was betrothed to Him there and betrothed to His Son. And so, in eternity past, we were chosen. And that's the doctrine of election, real short. Throughout then the, the entire Old Testament dispensation, right through the Old Testament prophecies, the wedding was announced. It speaks about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah to His Beloved One. And in the Old Testament dispensation, it was the nation of Israel that God chose there. And in the fulfillment of time, as others were added to the nation, as they were grafted in to the people of God, the leaving Gentiles were joined in as well. And we're going to look at a passage later from the book of Hosea, by the way, which is Old Testament, which speaks about this. The foreigners who come in and are part of those who are loved of the Lord. And as they come in, this was spoken about throughout the Old Testament and all the prophets spoke about the coming Messiah who would come to His people. And then the Son appeared in flesh and blood and became one of us. The betrothal itself took place. And then the marriage price or the dowry was paid on Calvary for you and I. The marriage price was paid for us. And now, after an interval, which in the eyes of God is just a little while, what's going to happen next? The bridegroom is going to come back for his bride. Now if I look around you, it's an ugly bride for a lot of you, but we are all collectively his beautiful bride. Who is his bride? All those who have come in faith, Old Testament and New Testament, starting with the nation of Israel and those who believe, but all those who have been joined to her are the bride of Christ. And He is coming for His bride. And this is what the angels and the heavenly host are celebrating. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. You can follow that in your scriptures too if you want to. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now here it is. Think of the Jewish context of marriage now. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So he is going to come and fetch his bride and we are going to go to his father's house and live there in this mansion which has many rooms in heaven. Do you get the picture? It's a great picture. And then, and this is where we're at in Revelation now, the marriage supper of the Lamb is proclaimed. 
And that is, and it's described in other places in Scripture, and we haven't got time to go there now, but that is the time when Christ is with his bride and everyone is seated at that great table of the Lord and the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place there. The celebration, it has all come about. And the church on earth yearns for that moment. I don't know about you. I yearn for the moment Jesus Christ will reappear. Because when I look on TV and I see things happening in Guatemala and all those pyroclastic flows just burning people to death, when I see terrorism acts, when I see bombings happening, I say, please, Lord Jesus, come soon and fix this. Finish this up. We want to be with you in heaven. We yearn for it. And so does the church in heaven. And that is why they cry out, we've been yearning for this moment and now it's happened. Hallelujah. Amen. So it is. Do you see it in your mind's eye? And then we shall be with Him forever. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18 says this about that time when we will be with Him forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 18. This is what it says. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. In Jewish culture, they would come with great announcement, lots of instruments, a lot of noise. The Lord will come with great command. And with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And elsewhere in Scripture it says that every single eye will see Him, every single ear will hear Him when He reappears. You're not going to need your cell phone to see the Lord coming. As some have said on TV. Multimedia will help us. No. This is going to supersede multimedia. When the Lord reappears, every eye will see Him and every ear will hear He has arrived. How He's going to know that, do that, I don't know. But He is. The voice of the archangel, and every ear will hear that, will announce, and the trumpet of God, He is here. And what will happen then? And the dead in Christ will rise first. All those who have gone before us, your grandparents who have been faithful, your children who might have died before you and have been faithful to the Lord, your great-grandparents who have been faithful to the Lord, you and I, if we die before Jesus Christ reappears, we will rise first. We will meet Jesus in the air and then He will come and meet all those, the rest of His bride who is still living at that stage on this earth. And they will be united with Him. You see the bride and the bridegroom together. It's a beautiful picture. And then we will be with Him forever. Now, how do we get ready for that day? Well, the rest of the text says that the bride gets herself ready for the bridegroom. And, says the verse there, it was, she gets herself ready. How? It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen. Now, look carefully at those words. It was granted her to get dressed in fine linen and to ready herself. So that means someone has said, yes, get ready. And has made it possible. You see, in Scripture we see over and over that the clothes that she is to wear is given to her by the Lord. What are those clothes? Her deeds of righteousness, blood washed by the Lamb. You see what's happening here? The bride is given a beautiful bridal gown by the bridegroom. And they often did that in those Eastern cultures. She would get a gift of a whole outfit. It's not like today where the bride would go into the bridal shop and go and work out what she wants and then the first time the bridegroom sees her is in her bridal outfit. Okay? In those days, it would, and in the Eastern mindset, they'd be given a set of bridal clothes to wear. 
as a gift because it's really expensive. And so this bride in Scripture here has given her clothes, has granted her to clothe herself in fine linen. Where have we come across the fine linen, the white clothing before? Revelation chapter 3, the letters to the church of Sardis. It will be granted to them, it will be gifted to them. If they are faithful to the Lord, they will be dressed in fine linen, white clothing. The cry, the clothing of victory. God will give it to her. And why is it white? Because her clothing, her deeds of righteousness are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They've been made white. All the sin has been taken out of those deeds of righteousness. Now please hear me this morning. Just because the clothes you are wearing are deeds of righteousness doesn't mean your deeds can save you. Because there are many who think if I live a good Christian life, a life that looks good to others, I will be saved. Jesus Christ said, no, the clothes I give you have been washed by me first. And then you wear them. Those are the deeds that you then go out and do in the world for me. You see the difference? He gives us the clothes to wear, the clothes of righteousness. They are the deeds of the saints. We go out into the world and we perform those deeds which have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's not the other way around. And so that's what the Lord does. And so that's why, and if you want to read more about that, that your deeds can't save you, go and read the whole of Romans. Take this afternoon off, take some time apart, it'll take about two and a half hours, and read through the book of Romans in one go. You'll have a clear understanding then. But you see, we are to ready ourselves for this period when Jesus Christ comes. You and I as the bride. Christ has ascended to the heavens and He's soon to return. So what's next on the agenda? He's going to come for His bride. That's you and I. And so we are to get ourselves ready for the bridegroom's coming. We can't be like those unwise virgins who didn't trim their lambs. Trim their, sorry, trim, trim their lamps. Sorry. And they weren't ready for the coming of the bridegroom. We aren't to be like that and we warn about that in Matthew chapter 25. We are to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. We are to be dressed in our robes of righteousness. I'm to be readying myself every single day by His blood-washed sacrifice over my life and all my actions. And this isn't the time to get my garments soiled by continual sin and unfaithfulness and the influences of Babylon. What would you think of a bride on the day of her wedding, just before the bridegroom arrives, if she suddenly climbs in there and starts to fix her motorbike in a wedding gown. Okay, I'll take it on the nose. Right. What about the hen's night, the night before? Just before the bridegroom is going to marry his bride, She's off on a hen's night and all kinds of things happen on hen's nights and on stag nights. What do we think of someone who is not faithful to her bridegroom or his bride? Well, you think less of them, don't we? Well, the Lord is about to come. How come so many of us believers are on spiritual stag nights? I say it with reverence. We are sullying our clothing we are dirtying our bridal gowns. 
by sin. And this deliberately comes just after Babylon has been defeated. You see, we are still under the influence of Babylon. She's still dragging us down. She's dirtying our bridal gowns. How come we don't see that in the same light as the way we look at someone who's not been faithful? You see what Scripture's saying here? So this is a call to you and I. Don't get yourself tainted, but ready yourself for the bridegroom's coming. Why be dragged down by Babylon? She's a defeated foe. They've just been singing about it. Will I deny my Lord so close to my wedding day? Will Christ find me a faithful bride at His return? Will He find His church collective on earth a faithful bride on His return? Will He find this church a faithful bride on His return. What does that mean? It means that you and I are about His business. And we daily ask Him to forgive our sins as we go about His business to keep our bridal gowns clean. So what do we do with this? Verses 9 and 10 sums it up for us. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. First thing in the application this morning is you've got to be invited to that marriage supper. This is an invitation only supper. What do I mean by that? It means, and now please hear me carefully. It means that some day in eternity past, the Lord chose you and He will meet with you on your life and bring you to Himself. And yet at the same time, the question arises then, so have I been invited? How do I know? Well, if you've been invited, you'll hear the invitation. Here's the invitation. Come to the Lord and be saved. Now, how do you know you're invited? If you come to Him and respond. And say, yes, I will go. Lord Jesus, save me. I want you to be Lord of my life. I don't want to live a sinful life when we take it from me. The invitation's in your hands. What will you do with it? When we come to the Lord's Supper in a few moments, it's also a meal of anticipation of this coming union that will be with Jesus Christ. As we eat that bread and drink the wine, or the grape juice, we are remembering not just what He's done for us in the past, but what He will do for us in the future. It's a looking backwards and looking forwards. Because one day in heaven we're not going to have the Lord's Supper anymore because this is the table of remembrance. We will be with Him forever. So we won't need it anymore. The bridegroom will be with the bride. And so I look forward to what we'll do soon. Secondly, He says, listen to these words. They are the words of prophecy from Jesus Christ. In other words, these words that, that, you've, that you've heard and seen are the truth. These are the true words of God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And just as you believe the Old Testament prophets, now believe these words of prophecy which Jesus has given to you in this letter to you of revelation. He has revealed Himself to you and what started right at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, and I just want to read that to you, 
Revelation 1 verse 1 says this. Sorry, 3 John. Here we go. Jude. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him, capital H, Jesus, to show to His servants the things that must soon take place. In other words, what the angel is saying to him, now believe this, John. He has revealed it to you. They are the very words of God because they come from God. Believe them. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that He saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. You've seen again the pinnacle of where we're heading to in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a reminder of what will soon come when Jesus reappears. Now, believe it. And get ready for that wedding. Keep yourselves pure before the Lord. How do we do that? Well, part of what we do is we worship God in the way we should worship Him. And that's my third point here of application. Worship Him as we should worship Him. Don't go worshipping angels like John did. He was so overcome by the moment and I, I guess I would be too, this overwhelming sound that he just drops on his knees and worships. And it's at the feet of the angel. And the angel says, no, don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant with you in heaven. We serve God too. All worship must go to God. There are some who write newspaper articles all about angels and false track, untruth. Don't believe it. Don't even go there. There's some in the Christian church who also worship angels. We aren't to worship angels. They are fellow servants. We are to worship God alone. God says there will be no other God before me. And any other worship is robbing God of worship due only to Him. We also see here that we are to praise Jesus for who He is, not just what He's done for us. I'm just recapping quick. Worship God for who He is. It's a great exercise, you know. Go and look up all the attributes of God. And if you need a uh, reference work to do that, go and look up who is God. And then just worship Him as you find those things. And very soon your soul will rise. And you'll be worshipping God with your whole being for who God is. And only then will you start thinking about what He's done for you. Push that consumer out of you. Worship Him for who He is. But stop and do it. You see, we're so busy with our lives, we forget to stop and worship God. And we wait till Sunday. Oh, we're going to have a time of worship on Sunday. Well, if that's the only worship that's happening in your life, it's a sorry, sorry sight, isn't it? The only time the bride ever thought of the bridegroom was on the wedding day. How would that work? We have to worship Him for who He is and what He's done for us. And then your righteous acts are also worshipping God as you go about and do what God has given you to do, as you wear the bright, shining clothing He has given you to wear, know that you are representing your husband, Jesus. You see, some of us are reluctant brides. We go about, we're kind of shy to put on our wedding dress and let others know we're believers. And so we kind of hide it with all kinds of big coats. We think the wedding dress is not going to stick out. We can't be the reluctant brides. Stand out for Jesus Christ. Be proud of what He's done for you in a good way. Give Him the praise. 
But do what He has given you to do. Don't be shy about that. Don't stand back. Be strong in the Lord. And tell others about the great love that He has for you. Wear these clothes. He has given them to you. Why would you be a reluctant bride ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's the bridegroom's promise to you as his bride. And it's from Hosea chapter 2 verse 19 to 20. This is what he says. In that day, I will betroth you to me forever. Think of that. I will betroth you to me in righteousness to be made right with God. I will betroth you to me in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Who's the active party? I will, I will, I will, I will, says the Lord, do all these things for you, and when I've done these things for you, you will know the Lord in your heart. And just like the bride and bridegroom came together and there was a knowing of each other physically, they really got intimate. We will be intimate with our God when He does these things for us. He is righteous, He is just, He is steadfast love, His mercy is revealed to us in that day. And we will see Him in all His splendor and all His glory. And we too as the bride of Christ will cry out on that day, Hallelujah! Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And with the angels in heaven, we will praise God. What a wedding feast that's going to be. Let's stay faithful to Him until that day. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day when You will reappear, Jesus Christ, on this earth. And every eye will see and every ear will hear, every ear will hear when You reappear. And that archangel will announce it with the trumpets. And Jesus will be before us. The bridegroom who has come to fetch his bride. His beloved bride. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us faithful to you. That we would not dirty our wedding clothes before that day. But when we fall over in sin, Lord, help us to quickly come to you and to keep short accounts of that sin before you, to ask for your forgiveness and to be washed clean once again. Because Jesus Christ betrothed himself to us at such a great price, he gave his very life to us so that we could come from death to life. Thank you for your mercy, your love. We praise your name, our faithful God. Amen.